Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. If God can finish his work in six days, dude, there's nothing so important you need to do on the seventh. Your work, the whole point of the Sabbath, I believe, I'm kind of inserting myself into this, but a major point of the Sabbath is to prove to you that your work is not that important. But Brent, I have to provide for my family because that's the American thing to do. It's not the Christ-like thing to do. Working on the seventh day is not the Christ-like thing to do. He gifts us the seventh day. Remember when he ever gave them manna? He gifted them the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, maybe you can't worship on Sunday. I'm not going to make an issue out of which day is your Sabbath. Just find a day that you set aside to rest and reflect on God. It's not about you. All right, this is getting worse, isn't it? Verse 12, we still have a ways to go. Uh, hurry Super Bowl verse 12 honor your father and your mother oh yeah let's get on the kids now then you will live a long life a long full life in the land of the Lord the Lord is giving you honor your father and your mother that's a uh, commandment that we come back to in Ephesians further down the road verse 13 you must not murder that seems on the nose Uh, verse 14 you must not commit adultery verse 15 you must not steal verse 16 you must not testify uh, falsely against your neighbor. Verse 17, and you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, female or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. There's the Ten Commandments. Verse 18. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. They are terrified. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we'll die. That's, this is not fear in the sense of God is awesome and we fear you. No, this is fear in that God is scary. I feel like I'm having a hard time making that case to some of you. You're still like, oh, I take him on. I oh, shut up. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. This is the second time that Exodus has brought this up. Your fear of him will keep you from sinning. God requires certain behavior of his people. Well, Brent, I just thought that was optional. God requires certain behavior of his people. It is not too much for him to ask. In fact, the case has been made that these Ten Commandments do not diminish life. They improve life. So we should want to keep these commandments. It's to our personal benefit to keep these commandments. However, if we arrogantly... If we or selfishly or stubbornly or 
stupidly choose to disobey the requirements of God, I would like to refer you back to point number one and also verse 20. God is scary. God is terrifying. So don't sin. You know, as a parent, there's times that you sit down with your children and you say, listen, if you play in traffic, you're going to get run over. So please don't play in traffic. And your kids are like, okay, I think I got that. There's other times that you tell them, listen, I am your dad. And if I catch you doing that again, I am going to spank your bottom. There's a difference, right? I like the way you're looking at me in judgment right now. Did you scare your kids? Absolutely, I scared my kids because I don't want them to hurt themselves. So I told them, this is going to be really, really bad from dad if you disobey me. And hopefully they obeyed me because they're afraid of me. I don't know if they did or not. We'll see. It's between them and God now. All right. There's the, there's the last line there. It's very, 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 very important. He says, don't be afraid for God has come to this way to test you so that you, so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning because God desperately wants us to not sin. It's damaging to us. Now, watch what happens. Following chapter 20, there's a whole bunch more of God's instructions about how the Israelite people are to behave. There's this, all these details about sacrifice and tabernacle and the priests and even their clothing. I am not going to read that because boy, that would be way too long. Here we go. Number three. So we have God is scary. God requires certain uh, behavior. And number three, people are short-sighted, self-serving, and stubborn. I didn't put moron on there because that just seemed too abrasive. All right. So, so far in the text, God is scary. There are certain behaviors God requires and expects of his people. What we're about to see is a demonstration of how incredibly short-sighted, self-serving, and stubborn humanity is. There's this contrast, I'm going to come back to it here in a, late, in a minute, but I'm going to tell you before so that you're looking for it. There's this contrast in this text that we've already talked about. This great, powerful, majestic, terrifying God overall. And then he's going to tell a story about mankind and how much faith we can put in us. Okay? Hold on to your britches. So we're skipping to chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. The scripture doesn't really tell us. We may be talking a couple of hours. We may be talking a couple of days. We don't know. So they all, they're, they're, they're impatient. Moses hasn't come back and given us some instruction. So Aaron, let's do something. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us? I'm not even God and I get angry about this. They go on. We don't want, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Like we don't really know who he is. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Last we saw, he was disappearing into the thick black cloud where there's a voice and a ram's horn and lightning and thundering and we're terrified and so we need God. We don't know what happened to, to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt, this guy that led us. So Aaron said, verse two, so Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears, from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. Verse three, all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape 
of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Holy moly. Do you remember when we were looking at uh, the plagues? And I, ta- I told you that there was a God that the Egyptians worshipped. His name was Apis. And he was in the shape of a bull. Now this is a calf. But there's, they, they had come from this country where they had worshipped this image of a bull. And their Hebrew God, the Hebrew God, had obliterated those Egyptian gods. Now they get away. Moses is gone for a little bit too long. So what do they do? They say, hey, let's, instead of worshipping the Hebrew God and living in obedience to him and honoring him, let's just do our own thing and make our own God. One that's not scary. Let's make a non-scary God. That way we can push him around, tell him what we want, and he has to do it. We laugh, but sweetheart, that's modern Christianity right up the middle. I'm not going to quit, by the way. I'm going to preach the rest of the series, so you're stuck with me. Second commandment, you must not, in my best godly voice, make an idol for yourself. (laughs) That's what God said. He just said it. Verse 5, Aaron saw. Aaron, Moses is number two, man. Aaron saw how excited the people were. They're all so happy. So he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. Verse 7, the Lord told Moses, Moses is up on the mountain while all this is going on in the valley, right? The Lord told Moses, he says, quick, go down the mountain, your people. I like this, this is funny. God's talking to Moses, right? Previously, God is all, you are my people, you're my chosen people, you're my special treasure. Verse 8, Moses, quick, your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. God's like, I had nothing to do with these bunch of goofballs. He's thinking, I should have redeemed monkeys. Verse 8, how quickly they have turned away from the, from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. And they have bowed down and sacrificed to this golden calf. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This isn't just coming home and telling your spouse, hey, I'm interested in somebody. This is bringing home a person and saying, hey, they're moving in. You don't mind if we share. I don't say that just to be uh, obtuse. I don't know what the word is. I don't say that just to be nasty. It's offensive. Then the Lord said, am I in the right spot? 
Yeah, I am. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn. See, you guys thought I was just making up a snarky point. God did this a long time before I did. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Now, you should write this down because this is important. Church, there is no hope in humanity. It's different than saying that there's no hope for humanity. There is hope for humanity. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is no hope in humanity. So, oh man, I hate to politicize this, but I'm just going to go for it. Every time humanity gets together and says, we're going to solve world peace, We're going to solve world hunger. We're going to solve all the global problems. Pick one because we're, we are so humanistic that we're going to solve all of the world's problems, right? Because we think that the hope is in humanity. If we get enough smart people, enough of the smartest people, and we all work together, we can solve all these problems. There is no hope in humanity. None. I don't like how that went over either. I do not know of any other text in the scripture that contrasts the terrible power of the one true living God with the devastating ineptitude of mankind. We have a sin problem. I know. Let's make an idol and further sin against God. No, 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 no. Humanity collectively as well as individually turns away from God's instruction to do what we perceive as good instead of what God has defined as good. That's why you got to do soap. That's why you have to read your Bible. Because in my Romans class, we just talked about sin will deceive you. Sin will make you think that what is sin is good. And you'll go do it and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm doing good. And the scripture says, no, you're not. Are you okay? Humanity, collectively as well as individually, turns away from God's instructions to do what we perceive on our own is good. And every time, the consequences of our independence from God is death. Every time. Every time. Every time. The consequences of of sin is death. Every time. When we live in in disobedience to God, pardon me, When we live in obedience to God, there is life and there is blessings. When we live in disobedience to God, there is death and there is curse. Every time, church, God is good. We are not. So we put all of our confidence in him, the one true living God. We don't need any idols. We don't need any other gods. We don't need to amend God with anything else that we put our faith in. We need to focus on him alone. Number four, God is just. I think I'm making people uncomfortable now. Why are you yelling at us, Brent? Number four. Because we haven't listened for the last 47 years that I know of. God is just. Sin is punished. Sin is always punished. Discipline, pardon me, disobedience is punished. Sin is punished. Disobedience is punished. God does not allow sin to go unpunished. Are you with me so far? 
That's kind of a principle in Christianity. It's important, foundational. Exodus chapter 32, just continuing on in in the text. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord, his God. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? See, you think that I make these things up. God was thinking it. Moses says, God, don't do this. Don't don't slaughter your people in the mountains. Don't wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Verse 13, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven. And I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants. And they will possess it forever. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the term, pardon me, the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua, he's going to be a reoccurring character. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. When they came near to the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing and he burned with anger. See, Moses was after God for getting angry. Now who's angry? He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them on the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. This is not something that happens in a few moments. This is something that the people of Israel, I believe... I I picture it in my head. Let me rephrase it. I picture it in my head. They see Moses coming down the mountain. They know they are in trouble. Moses comes. I don't think he even says anything. He takes the calf. Some of the men help him. They throw it into a fire. They set it ablaze. We're talking hours. Once it cools down, he starts grinding it. He's got 10 or 12 people. They're grinding it while the people who were dancing a while ago are standing around watching what Moses and the men are doing. What is he doing? He just destroyed our calf. That was, that was going to be our God. Now Moses is crushing it and he's making fine powder of it. And now he's putting it in our water. What's he going to do? What's, and he says, all right, you guys line up. You're going to drink this garbage. You want a God? You want to internalize a God? Here, I'll give you the opportunity to internalize a God. He's like an angry parent, huh? Line up and drink it, you bunch of goofballs. Verse 21, finally he turned to Aaron and and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my Lord. (laughs) 
Don't get all upset, Moses, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. I didn't do it, Moses. They did it. They're evil. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, Whatever, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I all I did was I simply threw it into the fire. And then out came a calf. It's a sign. We should worship it. Verse 25, Moses saw that Aaron had lost his marbles in the desert heat. <laughs> That's not what it says. <laughs> Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amazement of their enemies. That's kind of, there's a little phrase in there that, that Moses is aware that the people uh, around are watching what Israel's doing. They went to go worship their God and they just made an, an idol, a golden calf, and they've been celebrating. And now Moses just can't came down. Oh, this isn't good. Our enemies are watching what's happening. Verse 26, so he stood at the entrance of the camp and he shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around Moses. Verse 27, Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. This isn't Moses' big idea. This is God's idea. Each of you, talking to the Levites, would be the tribe that is the, the priests, that God has designated as the priest. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each of you Levites Take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. Because when there's sin, there's death. God set the system up that way. That's just the way it is. So when we sin, don't think for a second that you're like getting one by God. No, every time we sin, there is a, there's death. I'll explain it here in a minute. So Israel sinned. The, Israel, the, the Levites come. Verse 28, the Levites obeyed Moses' command and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. God is not messing around with sin. Our modern church culture, yeah, church culture, is very comfortable with sin. God has never been comfortable with sin. Not at all. The next day, verse 30, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back to the Lord on, on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sins, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. Verse 33, but the Lord replied to Moses, no, I will erase the name of everyone who has sin sinned against me. Now go. 
Lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead you, will lead the way before you. And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. Verse 35, then the Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they had worshiped the calf Aaron had made. God is just He punishes those who sin, and he is right in doing so. He makes it clear over and over throughout the Old Testament that the result of sin is what? Death every time. Now, so what about our sin? God does not just, listen carefully, God does not just dismiss your sins as though they never happened. Remember I told you, part of this story is knowing that when there is sin, there will be death. God does not just dismiss your sins as if they didn't happen. God is just. So your sins, there is going to be death because of your sins. God is just. He is right. He is good. He is not necessarily fair. But he is just. You see, God took the penalty for your sin and instead of holding it against you he took it and he assigned it to his very own son someone has to die for your sin and God said the only way I can forgive you is to take the penalty of your sin and put it on someone else someone who's not dying for their own sin Jesus didn't die for his sin he died for your sin You should have died. You should have been the one at the foot of the mountain where Moses said, drink this garbage. And oh, by the way, the priests are coming to slay you and your children because you're heathens and you're pagans and you have have been disobedient to God. You deserve to die. His holiness requires that you die. God took the penalty for your sin and he reassigned it to his own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus took your sin and he died on the cross for you. So the penalty of death for your sin was paid, just not by you. You are free. You are free from guilt. You are free from punishment. You are free from sin. You are free to reveal the terrifying and just nature of God You are free to live for the glory of God. Now, there's precious few people who will read this passage in Exodus and they're going to learn about the nature of God. But God reveals himself through you and I. They don't have to always read the scriptures. They can see the character and nature of God in us. Your obedience to God's word, your holy, consecrated, set-apart life, And your blessings, the blessings of God in your life are evidence that God is still doing the work of transforming and redeeming mankind. Are you with me? There is only one God, the Lord God, and he is out to redeem. He redeems us and then he uses us as vessels to bring the message of redemption to others. It's an incredible plan that he has and we get to be a part of it. When he should be angry at us, he offers us the blood of Jesus to wash away the guilt of our sins. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your mercy and your grace. 
Lord, I thank you that we serve a terrifying God, not a God that we can push around and manipulate, but a God who is sovereign and in control. And when we face the scary things in this life, we know that we serve a God who is much more scary. You hold this world in your hand. You hold humanity in your hand. And Father, while we fail you miserably over and over, we look to your son, Jesus Christ, knowing that there is redemption, there is forgiveness of our sins. When we foul up, you offer this supernatural forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for every one of our hearts this morning, I pray that you would remove our self-righteousness, you would remove our stubbornness, and that we would stand before the mountain of the Almighty, humble and putting our faith in you alone, that we would focus all of our trust, all of our belief upon the Lord Jesus Christ. When things of this world fall apart and don't work out the way we think, we just look to you and we trust in you because you work all things out for the good of those that love the Lord according to your good and perfect purposes. Father, we are your people. We are grateful that we get to be your special treasure, the object of your incredible salvation. Lord, live in us. Let your character illuminate through our lives to those around us so that they will know that there is a living God who is powerful and just and merciful and good. Father, we thank you and we glorify you with all that is within us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.